And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Paul Kangor. He's Executive Director of the Center for Vision and Values, Grove City College. Dr. Kangor, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Oh, well, you're too kind, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was not too long ago we heard in the news that Fidel Castro had passed away back on uh, November the 25th, 2016. And uh, he's quite a figure. And so we turn to you, since you've studied this sort of thing intensely in your life, um, to provide us some comments now and some understandings, perhaps, on uh, Fidel Castro. You know, most of my life, uh, for me personally, he was a dangerous menace. And in the 60s, some will recall the Bay of Pigs invasion and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and uh, I feel that if it weren't for the mercies of the Lord, we could have had a nuclear war on our hands. So, uh, Dr. Kengor, uh, please take it away. Oh, well, yeah, thanks, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, as you were saying that, um, as you were saying his first name, it, it occurred to me, I mean, Fidel, Fidel, comes from the, the phrase fidelity, and, and meaning faith, right, faithful, or, or at least it ha- has those origins, similar origins. And this is a man who was faithful to communism, to, mm. the, to the gospel of Marxism-Leninism. He was, he was not in any way faithful to any sort of belief in freedom, or religious freedom, or certainly to God and, and the Christian faith. He was, he was a, a nasty persecutor of, of religious people. He took uh, he took a, a very devout uh, island of people and and destroyed it. Uh, Cuba Cuba had been a very pious Roman Catholic country for a, a long long time, and I mean I could I could read to you sections from books like uh, Thomas Merton's classic The Seven Story Mountain where he talks about. Uh, before going into a uh, monastery to become a Trappist monk in the late 1930s, he made a long yearn for spiritual pilgrimage to Cuba. <laughs> he yeah. said there, there were just dozens of, of, of churches. Every corner that he went to, there was a, a church open holding a service. And you know, that was the religious Cuba that Fidel picked up and destroyed. By the late 1960s, he was, he was banning religion. Uh, literally not a new church was built from 1959 until 2014. 2014, first church was built in Cuba in 55 years. He banned the celebration of Christmas. You couldn't be a member of a communist party, which was the only party legally allowed in the country, and be a professing Christian. So that's just a few things he did on religion. And then um, I'll pause to take a question from you. But he was—he um, went on to be a, a a brutal persecutor of people, and and you know even even killed a lot of people as well. Yeah, he's quite a personality, and um, you know, depending on what news source you listen to, some people could come away thinking, "Oh, this guy wasn't so bad." Um, I was, <laughs> I was reading an article written by Christos. Terzidis, however you say his name, and he said that uh, Castro is one of the most iconic personalities of modern global history. One of the key players of the Cold War era, he ruled for decades applying social policies that can only be characterized as innovative, 
And he, oh. uh, he undoubtedly the most beloved symbolic political leader for a number of countries around the world and the basic political influence for Latin American countries. So that's what Christos wrote horrible. in the Huffington Post. <laughs> oh. well, hor- horrible. You know, if you could email me that when, when this interview is over, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll sure. share it with my students. Yeah. And, and and put it in my folder as as a keeper. Now, there's nothing innovative about about totalitarian communism. I mean, Fidel, Fidel Castro pursued 19th century ideas. I yes. mean, his ideas are, are as new as the 1848 Communist Manifesto. <laughs> uh, although, although even Marx would have said they were a tad bit too harsh. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, there's um, it's it's in, it's in, insane. It requires. Almost a psychological explanation to, to to try to get a handle on how people could even say things like this. Yes, and I think I think people um, sometimes um, ignore the the policy and ignore um, the terrible murders that were going on. Uh, there was another article written by Mr. Rosen, and he was concerned about Jewish issues, and he met with Castro. Apparently, befriended him, um, and what he wrote was Castro took great care in the food he served and almost every time I had dinner with him he would serve lobster his recipe often prepared with his own hands he oh. even he even gave me a handwritten copy of the recipe wrote Mr. Rosen what a sweet man and while his limited culinary concerns might be true as expressed towards uh, uh, just a few select people um he Mr. Rosen needs to understand and I think he does but but maybe denying that he is meeting with a brutal dictator who oppressed his own people for for what sixty for like six decades. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, and and the people of Cuba aren't eating lobster. In fact, they no. are literally not allowed to fish. Uh, people, wow. people don't realize that fishing is banned on Cuba, <laughs> uh, as are boats. Look at satellite pictures of Cuba. It's an island without boats. Oh, my. Because people take boats and escape. It's an island that has to import fish. Mm. Because you can't trust fishermen. The fishing industry was the most tightly monitored of all the industries, and they couldn't even monitor that one enough. And they can't let people fish from the shore because... They don't have enough government watchers to monitor all the shorelines, and people that are fishing will drop their poles and start swimming. Oh I'm not exaggerating. This, this, this is all actually true. Mm-hmm. About, we estimate that about 100,000 people between around 1959 and 1999, that's just in that 40-year period, it's the period when we, could, when we tried to get numbers on this, about 100,000 people attempted to swim or float from Cuba to Florida to, to get out of really? there. And of those 100,000, Dan, about 40,000, it's estimated, drowned, mm. died, trying to swim or float 70 to 100 miles in shark-infested waters. Oh. Let me give you another number. Zero. That's the number of people like Mr. Rosen and the other guy that you cited earlier who've tried to swim from Florida to Cuba. That's right, yes. All right? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. No one does that. None of these liberals and progressives attempt that swim. <laughs> it's all one way. It was like the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall was put up to keep people in the East from fleeing to the West. Yes. They never had to look over their shoulder, the Stasi guards, to see if anybody from the West was trying to climb over to get into the East. It never happened. Mm. 
So it, it, it is, uh, again, a, 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 almost a psychological explanation. These, these people are political madmen, the, <laughs> the things that they say. And, 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 and also, the, the king who's, who's making lobster, the people of, of Cuba never had lobster. No. They're mandated at $120 a year uh, wage. I, I, I have a student. His name is Lorenzo Carazana. He sits in the front row of my comparative politics class. <laughs> Where, where, where I, I teach, I do two or three weeks on Cuba every semester. And his family, they are escapees from Cuba. And he was telling me about his aunt. One day they were starving. It was not a typical thing. Or many days they were starving. And so they decided to take a major risk and eat some mangoes from their, the mango tree in their mm-hmm. front yard. Now, in a, this is a bold step because you're not allowed to do that because the state owns everything, mm-hmm. including fruit trees that grow in your own yard. Oh, dear. And, 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 a, and a lot of times the mangoes rot, and they, or they fall down, or they get bugs in them, or whatever, because the state can't pick them fast enough because the state's communist and it's inefficient. So Lorenzo's aunt took a great risk, her and a friend, and they grabbed a couple mangoes from the tree, you know, kind of at night, right, quietly. They took the mangoes down, they ate them, they fed their bellies, and, and then they, 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 they concealed the, 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 the skins in their garbage can, and then they realized, oh, dear, what if the, what if the neighborhood watchman, this is the communist inspector, yes. right, who comes and inspects our garbage cans, what if he finds these mango peels? We're, we're going to go to jail. So they oh. went out in the middle of the night, they got the mango uh, peels out, and they buried them about a foot deep in the yard. So the government wouldn't wouldn't find them. That's that's Cuba. <laughs> you know, it, it's not it's not uh, Castro, this lovely man serving the the, the duped uh, progressive foreigners lobster. It's just, it's just madness. It, I, it I, is. I tell you, it really makes this really makes me angry. Yeah. Shame on these people. Oh yeah, and um, I, I'm hesitant to share this, but um, even our own president at the time, um, Obama, you know. Uh, on the positive side, you know, he said we extend a hand of friendship to the Cuban people. Well, that's fine. We want to do that to the Cuban people. Um, and then he talks about the powerful emotions, and, and he recalled the countless ways in which Fidel Castro altered the course of individual lives and families and of the Cuban nation, and history will record and judge the enormous impact of this singular figure on the people in the world around him. And I'm thinking... You, with your bully pulpit, Mr. President, you have an opportunity to to embrace what really happened historically and keep perspective for our people and, and not go down the route of um, a brutal dictator and the firing squads and the and the terrible suffering and poverty that resulted from this from this one man and his worldview. Well, that's right, Dan. Yeah. Uh, Marco Rubio, whose family, uh, they're Cuban immigrants, he called that statement from Obama pathetic. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's putting it mildly. And Rubio said no mention there whatsoever of the crimes, the killing, uh, none of that stuff by Castro. And that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess ironically Obama got something right. People will look back at the enormous impact that Fidel had on Cuba right yes. <laughs> you know, it, it, enormous impact of, of the the enormity uh, uh the, the gravity of one man uh, the the way one man was able to ruin a nation i mean this guy is responsible for the deaths of 15,000 18,000 people 
know, that's according to the Harvard University Press book, the Black Book of Communism. Uh, those are people that were that were directly executed, bullets to the back of the head. That doesn't account for the number of people who, who drowned swimming, trying to leave. I didn't mention, too, Dan, that the Cuban government, in military helicopters, they would fly over top of people trying to swim to Florida and drop sandbags on them oh, in dear. the water as they, as they were trying to swim. The, the um, thousands more who, who, who perished in the, in, in, the, in the state concentration camps and prisons. By the way, liberals listening, uh, your buddy Fidel, they put homosexuals in jail. They, they put effeminate men in jail. They put them in insane asylums. They considered them nuts, insane. Uh, you know, they, so maybe that'll bother you. Right? Yes. Oh, put a gay man in jail. Now I'm angry. Right? <laughs> uh, so sure. they, 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 they did that. Uh, and, and I haven't even touched, touched upon the millions that Castro would have killed if he had gotten his way in October 1962 and, and launched the, the Soviet nuclear missiles that were in Cuba. Fidel and also Che, you know, this, this darling to Hollywood and many a modern, modern American leftist, Fidel and Che actually wanted to fire the Soviet nuclear missiles that were in Cuba in That's October scary. 1962. Now, can you take us back there for just a minute for those who are a little bit younger and don't recall any of this, and it's certainly probably not taught in their public school classes, what really happened back then? Yeah, I mean, we, we understand, Dan, right, that this is the closest that America and the Soviet Union ever got to nuclear war. That's correct, but what people don't realize, they, they, you know, there's the famous line, I think Dean Ross, Secretary of State, said it. He was talking about Kennedy and Khrushchev, uh, our President Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev, the head of the Soviet Union. And Rusk said, well, I think in the end, one of the two guys was staring at each other, and one of them just blinked. One of them just backed down. Well, it's true. One of them did. Mm -hmm. Khrushchev did. But the reason that Khrushchev did, and this is very well documented, there's no question about it. You could even you could consult Sergei Khrushchev, who is the, the son of Nikita, He's now an academic. He lives in the United States. He is the authoritative biographer of his father. He did a three-volume set on his father, published by Penn State University Press, leading academic publisher. Um, he's documented all of this. Uh, with the reason Nikita Khrushchev got the missiles out of Cuba was because he realized the Soviets learned that Fidel and Che actually were recommending and urging that they be used against the United States. The Soviets weren't intending to use the nuclear weapons. I mean, they were there. This was Cold, Cold War gamesmanship, a way to try to get the United States to get its missiles out of Turkey. Um, it's part of, you know, strategic arms policy. You try to get your missiles closer to the other guys. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's what this is for. They didn't think anybody would actually want to fire them. <laughs> but, 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 but Fidel and Che actually wanted to fire them. When, when um, Alexander Alexeyev, the, the Soviet ambassador to Cuba, sat there and listened to Fidel and, and came to the understanding that Fidel actually wanted to fire them, he was speechless. He, he couldn't believe it. So Khrushchev called a literal late-night meeting Sunday night, at the Soviet Foreign Ministry, got, got, uh, got the Kremlin together, got the Soviet, leading Soviet officials together, and said, get them out of there now. Remove the missiles now, immediately, now. Get them out of there, quick. 
Oh, because, my. Because they, this would have led to, as Robert McNamara, our Secretary of Defense, said, and as Castro affirmed to him 30 years later in a conference, an open symposium that they were holding on this in Havana, um, this would have led directly to the deaths of 80 million Americans. Oh, yeah. Now, what about this, this name you're mentioning, Che? I did a quick look up on Wikipedia. Can you tell us a little bit more about that guy? Yeah, Che Guevara, who a lot of um, young people, millennials, wear on their T-shirts. There's been a, a book done on him, a, a movie, The Motorcycle Diaries. He's kind of a Hollywood icon nowadays. Uh, Carlos Santana is a big fan of his. Uh, a, a number of uh, musicians and actors, actresses. But Che Guevara was, was the leading henchman of Fidel, he was okay. a bloodthirsty, ruthless killer, uh, and and really described himself as bloodthirsty, mm-hmm. and 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 became really handy to Fidel. He he was basically Fidel's Himmler, um, Fidel's uh, oh. Beria. Thinking of Lavrenti Beria, who was who was Stalin's henchman. Himmler was was Hitler's henchman. Uh, they, Fidel and Raul put uh, Raul Castro, who's in charge now. They put Che in charge of La Cabana prison in in Cuba, and it was really there. I gave you that number earlier, Dan, of like fifteen thousand to eighteen thousand Cubans that were executed by bullets. But mm-hmm. probably half of those were killed in the first six or seven years of the revolution. Um, under the leadership of Che at La Cabana Prison, mm-hmm. and, okay. and, and yeah, and Che wanted to watch all of these executions. In fact, he even had uh, his office at the fortress there. He had a wall removed, so when he couldn't be down there in person to call off to call the firing squads, fire. He could at least watch from his mm-hmm. room upstairs because he really enjoyed watch, watching the execution. That is so sick. That that's what bothers me about these revolutionaries is is how bloodthirsty they are. Mm-hmm. Um, now going forward, um, here we are in America. We've just had an election. Um, do you have any advice for us how to avoid uh, becoming like Cuba? Some people might say, "Oh, we're we're so far away from them." Uh, politically and uh, philosophically, but I do worry a little bit or get concerned. <laughs> Christians sure. are supposed to worry that um, some of the progressive attitudes seem like they line right up with some of the goals of Fidel Castro. Well, they do, and you know it doesn't help. Uh, you know any progressive listening who doesn't like what you just said. Well, it doesn't help when uh, you guys, you progressives, run around commending people like Fidel Castro. <laughs> what do you yes. expect us to think, right? And 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 you know, you're willing to look past tens of thousands of murders, the intention to nuke tens of millions more, um, all the anecdotes I mentioned about the mangoes, everything else. $120 a year mandated salary uh, just because a guy can give you, uh, quote-unquote, free health care and free education. All right, that's just ridiculous. You want free health care and free education, you know, talk, talk to the Canadians or the Brits or the French or the Swedes. Yeah, they figured out a way to do this without having totalitarian Marxist dictatorships, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know what comes out in my head, too, as I was reading really quickly about this Che character, uh, apparently, as a medical student, he sees all of the cases of poverty and hunger in South America. 
He equates that with capitalist exploitation. I think people need to realize and remember that whenever sin is involved, even if you have a capitalist system, it can become perverted and, and take advantage of people. Well, that's right, and, and that's the danger of removing the rudder of faith, right, yes. from the whole progressive experiment. And, and that's where they really, really go wrong. You know, a number of different theologians, including, um, you know, a fellow Argentinian, <laughs> Pope Francis, of mm-hmm. Jay was Argentinian, have said that, you know, if you try to deliver Marxism uh, without the gospel, the Christian gospel, you're really going to get in trouble. Yes. And, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, Marxism isn't going to work anyway, even with the Christian no, gospel. No, of course not. But, 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 but when you take the rudder of faith away... Um, the, you know, then then it becomes really dangerous and destructive. And to bring this back to America, Dan, I think the problem with secular progressivism today, unlike um, progressivism a hundred years ago, when you had people like Woodrow Wilson and Jane Addams and some of these others who were progressives, those early American progressives tended to be devout Christians. Um, you know, Woodrow Wilson oh. was a five-point Calvinist, believe it or not. Yeah, but 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 today today's progressives are totally secular, yeah. and when you start removing you know the guiding light of faith from the progressive vision, uh, that's when it can become really destructive and people can get uh, literally truly hurt. Yeah, I like your analogy to a rudder, and uh, that the Christian faith is like a rudder on your boat or your ship. And so you can direct, you can, you can avoid the, the things that are in the water that's going to destroy your ship, and, and that's a great analogy. Mm. Or, or also, another term people will use is moral compass, right? Yes. Um, one of Ronald Reagan's phrases that I really like, he talked about the, the vital importance of the twin beacons of faith and freedom. Mm. So you can have freedom, but if you don't have faith, then, you know, the twin beacons that brighten the American sky are suddenly a lot more <laughs> dim, and it's harder to navigate, right? Yeah. You need both. You need, you need uh, not just freedom, you need faith. So faith is always needed, whether a free society or a non-free society, and that's what the progressives don't get. They want to banish faith so that they can do the other stuff they want to do, redefine marriage, redefine gender, redefine family. But once you remove faith, you know, be, be careful what you end up with, because you're going to be rudderless, and, 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 and that can create genuine destruction. Mm, yes. I've been thinking about a word lately, too. Uh, you know, we kind of have a, I would say, maybe a increased interest in libertarianism, perhaps, among mm-hmm. some folks here in the States. Um, but that's not the same as libertinism. Can you explain the difference between the two? Well, it's true, but, but in a way, you know, I've, I know a lot of libertarians who are libertines, right? And, okay. Um, I, have, well, I, I have a friend who's a Christian libertarian, and he's not a libertine, and he worries a lot that as fellow libertarians become less Christian or unchristian or atheistic, yes. that, that they'll become libertines. And so you know, the freedom they want in the economic sphere uh, goes to the social and the moral as well. And then, yes. uh, then they become libertines, and they become excessive with their, their sexual practices, their moral practices. And if you're going to have a genuine libertarian society here, too, this is what Ronald, the point that Reagan was trying to make, um, you know, libertarians, I argue, suffer from a kind of idolatry of freedom, 
where they, they almost worship freedom. Freedom becomes the, the golden calf. It becomes the ultimate objective. But if, if you don't have the rudder of faith um, guiding that free society, then the libertarian vision, too, can, can, be, can become very dangerous. So yeah, I think so. A libertarian society, that, too, need, needs the rudder of faith. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a key phrase here. we got, like, two minutes left, and that is idolatry. And whatever we set up before the triune God of the Scriptures as an alternative to him and his ways is an idol. And God says, you shall not have any idols. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, how about some wrap-up thoughts? If I'm thinking about a young person out there who uh, maybe is still in high school, going on to college or else in college, and he or she realizes, oops, I'm kind of missing a whole body of information. How about share with us a book that they could read to better understand um, how maybe family is being sabotaged or whatever? Oh, well, thanks. I, I, yeah, I think you're asking me to recommend one of my own, if I may do that. <laughs> it sounds like uh, that would be a very uh, not-so-humble thing to do, but um, I wrote a book called Takedown, which is on the sabotaging of family and marriage. So yes. you cued me perfectly, Dan, on that one. <laughs> so, my, so my book, Takedown, and also I did a book called Eleven Principles of a Reagan Conservative, and it just strikes me as I'm saying this that a lot of what I just said in the last few minutes about faith and freedom, it's all in that book. Okay. And that's a very short book that very clearly lays out this sort of faith and freedom vision. So if I may recommend yeah. uh, two books of my own, uh, yeah, 11 Principles of a Reagan Conservative and the other one, Takedown, um, and just, just Google them at Amazon under my name, Paul Kengor. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Our guest has been Dr. Paul Kangor, Executive Director, the Center for Vision and Values, and he is a professor of political science at Grove City College. And um, Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, anytime, Dan. Thank you. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 